Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Well, good morning, church. Pastor Randy Lovelace and I serve here as lead pastor, and I want to welcome all of you who are visiting with us for the first time or the first several times. I want to welcome all those who are joining us on the live stream, those who are in B110, but also those who are outside. And I want to say to you, you've come on the right Sunday or perhaps the worst Sunday, because this morning's subject is the most controversial subject on which I could speak. Really? (laughs) Because there's not a single person in this room who is not affected by this subject. But it doesn't get much airtime, and it's easy to avoid. And it's easy to dress up in spiritual language. I'm doing the work of the Lord, you know. And this subject is given the most benign sermon title I could ever find. The sufficiency of grace. Now that doesn't tell you a whole lot. Well, we would agree. We agree with the sufficiency of grace so long as we're talking about our need for forgiveness. That's great. That's beautiful. That the Lord's grace and his work on the cross comes to me in my sin and my brokenness and I'm healed of my sin and I'm given new life and a new heart and a new way. But we believe here at C3, we believe in what we call the four-chapter gospel. The creation, the fall into sin, redemption, and restoration. We do not simply believe in a two-chapter gospel. I'm a sinner in need of grace for salvation. That is all right and good, but that is not where the Lord stops. The Lord means to draw people to himself, to make them and to make us more like him in every way in the most mundane of ways, and that the Spirit of God, which is a gift to the people of God as we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Spirit begins to peel back the onion, the onion of our lives, and it gets down to the heart of the matter, the most difficult place. And this is what Paul is driving to in both of his letters to the Corinthian church. And as he gets to the end of 2 Corinthians, though not the end of the book, but largely the end, he's driving to this one point. And it is on this point, which we will end this series in 2 Corinthians. It is the sufficiency of grace, but it is the sufficiency of grace in our weakness. So I want to remind you of a quote that I used last Sunday. And that quote is from uh, a Catholic theologian and teacher, St. Teresa of Lisieux, when she said these words. Everything is a grace. Everything is the direct effect of our Father's love. Difficulties, contradictions, humiliations, all the soul's miseries, her burdens, her needs, everything, because through them, the soul learns humility, realizes her weakness, 
everything is a grace because everything is God's gift. Do we believe as Christ's church that his grace is most beautiful and most ready to be experienced in the place where I and you feel the weakest? This is the question, not just for individuals, but for the church corporately. So let's hear what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Hear now God's word. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would be not a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being too elated by the surpassing greatness of the revelations, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to prayer now as we ask the Lord to teach us his word. Father, by the power of your all-sufficient grace, in the midst of our weakness, our weakness of understanding, our weakness in experience, the weakness when we confess that, Lord, we don't like weakness, we ask you to come, Holy Spirit, and renew us, to help us to see that that place of weakness is the place where we need Christ and where you are forming your glorious grace in us. So help us, we pray, to receive this word and to be changed by it, not merely saved by grace, but we are being transformed by grace because it is more than sufficient. It is overflowing. Help us to drink of it deeply, we pray. Help the teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this passage together, we're going to see the sources of power. Secondly, the redefinition of power. Finally, the heart of the gospel. 
the sources of power, the redefinition of power, and the heart of the gospel. First, the sources of power. One of the things you're going to see in this passage as we get into it in just a moment, you're going to see two overall contrasts. The contrast that Paul wants to draw into the mind of his hearers, and I hope that you can understand the contrast. There are merely two sources of power or authority, use the word, influence. There are two sources of it. First is ourselves, which is from below. And we seek to exert on the world around us, on ourselves, on our circumstances, and on our, our, those around us, regardless of our position. First source is from ourselves and from below. This is the heart of what Paul is addressing and trying to critique within the Corinthian church. Because it is very easy for us to think in many ways in the 21st century to think that we're far removed from what they dealt with. But the beauty of scripture is it always reveals the human heart. Regardless of time, regardless of circumstances, it's always just human hearts getting along, trying to figure out this world. And so in these two letters, what we have is we have a church planter that is Paul, and he's gone to plant the church. After he left to go plant other churches, others came in that were known to be super apostles. And they wanted to be known for their experience, for the revelation, for their teaching power, their ability to exert influence. And so they did so within a powerful city. Remember where we started? It was a powerful city set between two beautiful seaports that connected the east to the west. It was a place where they had Olympic kind of games and it was a place to show off your talent your power, and there are towers that you can see today if you were to go there, you can see it's not far from Athens where you can go and you can see how people built at their own money the way to build towers in their names with plaques that said so-and-so built this tower by his own money to demonstrate that you had standing in the community. Can we not relate to that reality? And as we think about power that is from below, from ourselves, We understand what the Corinthians felt tempted towards, having the right house, in the right neighborhood, having the right job, having the right social circles, going to the right university, having the right places, the right doors open for you, and the ability and having the resources to affect your daily circumstances as you see fit. This is what they wanted, and this is what we want. Famous philosopher, 20th century, perhaps you've heard of him, Nietzsche, in his book, The Will to Power, this is what he said, and he's exactly right with regard to our culture. Our culture loathes weakness. It is to be avoided at all costs. We have completely bought into this formula. I teach, this is Nietzsche, I teach that there is no good at all in weakness. I teach the yes to all that strengthens, that stores up strength, that justifies the feeling of strength. We say no to weakness and yes to strength. And as one writer responds, the idea that weakness could be good, let alone an accepted reality, is antithetical to our vision of happiness, health, and success. Nietzsche would say, everything done in weakness fails. 
And man, has the West drunk of this deeply? From the products we buy, whether it's deodorant or cars or going to Home Depot or driving a pickup truck or whatever it is you're into, there is some form of calling out in you that desire that helps you realize you've made it, you've got it, you have the will to choose. And isn't it wonderful? We want it, we feel it. And if not for ourselves, we want it for our children if we have children. We want them to have the power to choose, the resources to make decisions. And if we're honest, deep down, underneath a lot of our desires, either for ourselves or for our families or in our jobs, in some way, we want to do something big, we want to make a difference, and we want to be significant, we want to have a legacy. This is what we desire. And as pastors, it is no different. We go into seminary, we want to be ordained because we want to affect the world for Christ. But ah, that is where it becomes very subtly a spiritual overlay of something which is from below and from myself. I want to make a difference, Lord, for you and your kingdom. But what I keep buried in the recesses of my heart is the idea, yeah, can you take me along for the ride? It is no question in my mind that what Paul wants us to see in this passage as he's critiquing them in the Corinthian church, he wants to call them to see that this power that is from below, from ourselves, is demonic. It is not of the Lord, no matter how much we dress it up. And when he says to them, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations. In some ways, he's drawing them into a dialogue. For a time, he's playing their game. You boast about being a super apostle? Well, let me tell you about myself. And so he's doing this subtly. He's critiquing this idea that he has anything to boast about by drawing them in. But what he wants us to see, what he's driving to overall in all of Paul's writings is that there's another source for power that is from Christ, that is from above. And it is contrasted from the power that we have from ourselves. This power that is from Christ and from above, he has given to us that regardless of your position of influence, your neighborhood, what university you went to or didn't go to, or high school you're going to or didn't go to, wherever God has placed you, you have a place of influence and of power and of authority to some degree. But that is not from you. It is a gift from the Lord. And it is to be given away to others because this is the picture of Christ. It is all over the New Testament. For just a moment, consider what the writer James says in, his, in chapter 3. He says in James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. 
But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, that's from below. In your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but this is earthly wisdom that is spiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James is saying there is a power and authority that is from above that breaks out not in a desire to control and to influence for our own ends and our becoming our best selves, but there's a power that is from above that is reasonable and peaceable and is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. So whatever position that we are in, whatever level of influence and authority we have is to be transformed and shaped by the power of God in Christ through the work of his spirit. This is what Paul is referring to in his letter to the Galatians. When he says to them, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So the strength and authority and power that we are given, it's not to be denied, but to understand all of the place where we have influence is a gift from God and the question to ask, Lord, how can I use my position today shaped by love to give away to those around me and not just simply using what power I have to make a better me. I get out of the way. Spirit, fill me, work through me in every conversation I'm going to have on the phone today or by text or on social media or in the office or in the neighborhood. It is the most mundane because it is the most fundamental aspect of being human. We desire power of choice. We desire influence and the ability to choose. But to what end? And how are we dressing it up spiritually? When Jesus says to his church, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we, church of Jesus Christ, do I as a pastor, do I fundamentally believe that? Do you fundamentally believe that? In most days, I want to say I believe that, but then I'm plunged into the world of mundane. I'm doing emails, I'm following up phone calls and doing visits. And it is so easy just to settle back in to self-dependence, self-direction, self-empowerment. When Paul says to pray without ceasing, I actually think it meant, not that literally you're praying all the time, but it's like, okay, before this phone call, before this meeting, before this appointment, Lord, be with me 
in this encounter, in this interaction. Because subtly, very subtly, we just fall right back into self-dependency. There is a power that each of us is given from young to old. If you're a young person, you know you're, you're walking around with power and influence because you have friends, you have siblings perhaps. You have the ability to encourage or to tear down, to build yourself up, to make others look bad, to be the funniest in the room at other people's expense so that you can be considered funny and acceptable and warm and just the person to be around. Whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter. Each of us has been given a capacity and power. The question is, what is the source of that power and influence? As one writer says, power is the capacity to affect reality. We human beings have the capacity to physically, emotionally, and spiritually influence the world around us. God has given us this capacity for good, to glorify him and to bless the world. But as Christians, our primary interest is not simply in affecting reality. Our primary interest is to bear the fruit of the kingdom. What would it look like for us in this coming week that the spirit would so move within us individually and corporately that we could begin the habit and discipline of praying, Holy Spirit, go before me today before I interact with my spouse, before I respond to my spouse, if I'm married, my neighbors, my coworkers, my friends. Come Holy Spirit, even in the mundane. Paul is wanting us to see that these sources of power is necessary for us to assess and to see and to ask the question, Holy Spirit, where do I understand my source of power? Where do I most not want you to work? I got it. That is the place. And maybe it begins with confession. But in this portion of his letter, Paul means to not just show them the source of power, but to redefine it. In verse six, he is doing what one would call subversive boasting. Remember what I said? He's drawing them into a path. He's wanting to play their game. And when he says, and I know this man, he's speaking of himself, who was caught up into paradise, whether in the body, I don't know. And I heard things that cannot be told, no man can utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. But then in verse six, he shifts and he says, though, okay, just for a second, just for the sake of argument, hey, if there's anybody who can boast, it's me. And he says these words, though, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth. (laughs) He's like, yep, I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you the truth. If I lean on my own experience, if I've seen what I've done, I've been there, I've seen it. I've had some crazy influence and I've seen some things. But he is subversively drawing them in to see, wait a second, is this how I think of myself? He speaks of these visions and revelations and he draws them in to see that their boasting is of no use because their boasting 
about themselves. And he says, I have every reason to do so, but I refuse to do so. And to make sure that I don't, now we hear he goes from subversive boasting to a heart set free. Verse eight, he says, to keep me from, rather verse seven, so to keep me from being too elated, to be too, being too proud of these surpassing revelations. The Lord allowed for a thorn in his flesh. We're not gonna spend an ounce of time on what that thorn was because we don't know. We don't know. You ready? We don't know. But I know this, he wanted it gone. So now watch. Paul, if we're so accustomed to this passage, stop for a moment. This is an apostle of Jesus Christ who was there killing, killing Christians whose life has now been changed and now he's a prophet and an apostle of Christ who says, let me let you into what's going on inside of my life. And he said, I had these revelations, but to make sure that I didn't become too proud by being the recipient of such revelations, the Lord allowed something in my life that humbled me. And I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled. Lord, take it away. There is the place of a human being on display for us. Haven't you been somewhere in a situation in your life, whether visited upon you or created from your own experience and decisions? Have we not been in this place where we've said, Lord, take this away. I don't like it. It's weakness. I can't stand it. I'm afraid of it. I want to avoid it. I have. Paul, in allowing us in, I suggest to you that these prayers that he gave were a temptation. He was tempted to want to escape the suffering and the weakness. But watch what happens. After the Lord says to him, for my, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It's the next word, therefore. It doesn't say, therefore I continue to plead. Notice he stops praying for the Lord to remove it. And we have no indication whatsoever that the thorn was ever removed. What is that telling us about his heart? His heart was wrestling, wanting out of weakness, convinced that this was not a good place for him to be in. And yet the Lord said, no, it is in this place, Paul. It is in this place where you're most tempted to not depend on me. It would be in this place where you want to depend on yourself, your own direction, your own self-realization, self-actualization. But I say to you, my grace in this place, in this moment, in this circumstance, this is where you can see me sustain you. 
and his grace is more than just forgiveness. His grace is his presence in the place where we are afraid he will show up. Is there some sin or temptation in your life this very day that were it to be known in this room, you would be utterly undone? Do you know it is in that place where you are depending on yourself, where the Lord is inviting you into his heart to see that his grace is enough. But hear me, there is no indication that the thorn was ever removed. Going into the heart of God in the midst of our weakness does not mean that that weakness is removed or the circumstances changed. But it's in that place where the Lord wants to show you that his grace is far more than forgiveness. It becomes a place of freedom and saying, Lord, come, work, reshape, change me, change me in the midst of this that I might be able to see and experience your grace in this part of my life. We have then, as he says here, though I pleaded with the Lord, the Lord responded, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This is where Paul then says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content in, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Hmm. Paul is writing this out of his own experience. He was a Roman citizen. He was tortured. He was imprisoned, though he had no right to be as a Roman citizen, but he did not open his mouth. Go read it in Acts chapter 16. He and Silas imprisoned. They said nothing. But then those who were responsible for their imprisonment were publicly shamed when later they were, they were set free. But in that place of weakness, in that hardship, in that persecution, in that imprisonment was where God's gospel broke out and the prison was changed. Here again, do we really believe that in the heart of my weakness is where the power of God can show up? But we then go to the heart of the gospel. At the heart of the gospel are things that we must wrestle with, glory and weakness. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul says this about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Ah, the heart of the gospel is the glory of God in Christ, who has created all things by the word of his power for his glory and majesty and honor and all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Christ, then how is it that the beauty of that glory was something you and I could never attain to, but rather that glory came clothed in the weakness of flesh? At the heart of the gospel is the glory of God expressed in weakness. For this is what Isaiah says, Isaiah, the great chapter of 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as no one from whom men, as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. We want the glory and the power, but God has made his glory and power known in weakness. At the heart of our faith is not a great, and look who I am. No, God made it known through the despisement of the cross. And he took an instrument of shame and turned it, turned it in the beauty and the glory of salvation. So therefore, if we have been saved by Christ, we are being formed by his glory in the midst of our weakness because in the weakness, we see his glory. But let's be honest, we don't like it. I don't like it. I wanna live my best life now. I wanna make a difference. I wanna have influence. I want people to say my name and to remember me. Thanks be to God, Christ shows us a different way. And that is the way of the kingdom. At the heart of the gospel is glory in the midst of weakness and the way of the kingdom. Kyle Strobel writes this in his book, The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb. Jesus champions not the great, but the seemingly insignificant and irrelevant. As we see kingdom power in the church today, our starting question should not be, how can we be great? But the question ought to be, what role do the weak, the disabled, the elderly, the needy have in our midst? When those who are obviously weak have no place in the church, we know that we have rejected the way from above and have embraced the power that is antagonistic to the gospel. How are we making a place for the weak, including ourselves and those 
who our culture so easily despises. In the kingdom, flourishing is found in serving others, not lording it over them, Matthew 20. In the kingdom, flourishing is discovered by being last, not being first, Mark 9. In the kingdom, flourishing is embracing the littleness of our roles and accepting that less honorable parts of the body are more honored, 1 Corinthians 12. In the kingdom, flourishing is known in our weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Thanks be to God, we are not called here on Sunday mornings to dress ourselves up and to look pretty and to have it together and to have a full church and to be a great church with influence. That means nothing, nothing, nothing. It is Christ and him alone, his power in our weakness so that we can give it away to others. So we can bring our weakness and say, Christ, in this place where I don't wanna trust you, I need you. Forgive me for my self-dependence. In this place where I said I wanted influence and I put your name on top of it, it wasn't for you, it's for me. Lord, forgive me. As a church, Lord, we wanna, we wanna be a church, we wanna be a church like we once used to be, the church that ate Franklin. But what if the Lord has for us? I want you to be a church that serves this place. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. Who are the least of these in our midst? Who are the least of these in our community? And how can we give the power and influence which the Lord has given us to give it away in love to others that they might be made whole and encouraged and loved. There's a great song that we sing in the church, come ye sinners, poor and wretched. What is required then at the heart of the gospel? If Christ's power is made known in weakness for our salvation and being reshaped in the midst of our weaknesses for his glory, what then is required of us individually and corporately as a church? I can't sum it up better, but in these words, come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. Not the righteous, not the righteous, sinners Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. May the Holy Spirit fall fresh upon us this very morning to show us this weakness in our lives and us as corporate church. Lord Jesus, come and make your power great that your name might be glorified. Let's pray together. Come, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are not finished with us. For as we've already sung this morning, if we are not dead, you are not done yet. Father, we confess that we want strength. 
We want power, we want influence, we want to affect our reality, and we do not like boasting in weakness. In fact, we want it gone. And we've been tempted into thinking that that's what you want. But we're reminded by your very word that that is not your word. Your word tells us that in our weaknesses, your power is made perfect. Because in weakness, we depend on Christ alone. Your grace is more than sufficient. And we can glory and boast in our circumstances, no matter how weak. We do not need to fear persecution or calamity or weakness or harm, but we can rejoice that in all of it, Christ is with us. Lord, as we now prepare to take this supper and as we drink of this cup and eat of this bread, Lord, we are drinking in the glory of God shown in weakness the weakness of a savior on a cross. And may that not merely be a cliche that we sing and say, but in the heart of our weaknesses, help us to boast that Jesus showed up. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.